0: Hi, I'm Jonathan Hurd, programmer of Food Fight at General Computer Corp., and you're listening to the Ted Dabney Experience podcast.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Richard May, and I'm here as ever with the author of Missile Commander, Tony Temple. Hello! But sadly, on this occasion, without the Nottinghamshire twang of Retro Gamer Magazine's Paul Drury, because he's a little under the weather. For this episode, we talk with Jonathan Hurd, programmer of the colourful and decisively non violent Food Fight. Food Fight was the first title developed at General Computer Corp for a smart thinking Atari once the infamous Super Missile Attack lawsuit had been settled. For those of you not familiar with the story of Super Missile Attack, which was, for all intents and purposes, an unofficial version of Atari's Missile Command, you may want to listen to episode 11 first. That's our in-depth interview with GCC Steve Golson. As ever, thank you for listening. You can find all the usual social media links at tdepodcast.net and you can also support us at Ko-fi. The URL for that is ko-fi.com forward slash tdepodcast
0: hi i'm gary vincent
1: and i'm mike stuhler
0: the ted dabney experience podcast is brought to you in association with acam the american classic arcade museum
1: visit
2: classicarcademuseum.org to learn more about our collection and visit us in laconia new hampshire
1: jonathan a warm welcome to the podcast thanks for talking with us um so these days we're continually impressed with Exponentially advancing technology, but I imagine back then the whole thing was something even more mind-blowing. You know, society went from nothing to computers, rather than better computers. Is that is that your experience of that era? If you like,
0: uh, yes. And just to give you a sense of what my experience with computing devices was like uh, when I first started writing Fortran, yes, on uh, not even mini computers, but a You know what was a full-size computer at the time with card readers and everything uh i had a i had a texas instruments calculator Uh with trigonometric functions on it to me that was magical at the time (sighs) that was my experience with computing devices when i in fact i got that um ti calculator when i graduated from high school as a graduation present so that was the most I had ever experienced at the time that I uh, started writing Fortran.
1: Mm, mm. So, what was your um, motivation to ultimately study computer science at MIT?
0: Well, uh, I would say my motivation is I wanted to learn things that I enjoyed, mm. and you know, I took organic chemistry, biology, um, psychology, of course, math and physics, but when I wrote software. I was um I really enjoyed the experience of determining what I wanted software to do, mm. uh programming it, typing it out on punch cards and actually seeing it work. It's it was so rewarding to me that I thought this is what I want to do.
1: So the young Jonathan Hurd was um something of a renaissance man, but what um what
0: what got you into video games? Jonathan. So video games, uh, first of all, I've always enjoyed pinball machines and and the the uh rudimentary video games that existed at the time, or any kind of games, but it was um the motivation was finding out that some of my work colleagues, Kevin Karan and and others at MIT, Doug had McCrane, started right? Doug McRae. Yep. Steve Golson, Chris Rode. Uh, a couple of them I had worked with at um, at Strategic Planning Associates, the um, strategy consulting firm that was writing software for consultants. Um, they worked there, a couple of them. And SPA was, our at least our division of SPA was uh, closing up shop. And I gave a call to Kevin and I said, Hey, I hear you're interviewing for uh, new uh software writers for GCC. Right. And he said, "Yes, and I'm glad you called me. I didn't want to, you know, raid SPA staff." Uh so anyway, I I talked to Kevin, went in, interviewed, I got hired, and that was um that to me was starting a dream dream job. Cool. And um at
1: MIT, um Doug and Kevin famously operated around, I think, about twenty pinball and video games on campus, didn't they? Did you did you partake in this uh, little operation, or was it after your time there?
0: It was after my time there.
1: Ah, uh, okay, fine. Yeah, no,
0: but at um at SPA, I uh I met Kevin Curran. I actually hired him as a as an intern at SPA, and uh, uh, okay. when right. when SPA started uh, closing up our our office. Uh, I gave Kevin a call and because I heard they were making video games, and I wasAh, so that's to for OG. timeline
1: that's for timeline, okay, fine, I'm so I mean, given you had this in to the company was was there a formal interview process as such or it
0: it was pretty informal because yeah. Kevin already was familiar with what I did, what I could do uh, and he there weren't any questions around um. You know, do you think you could actually make a video game? That, that wasn't a question he asked me, but it turned out my first day on the job, I, I, I was thinking, gee, I wonder what I can do right now to help because they were finishing up Ms. Pac-Man, and so I, you know, went in and said to Kevin, um, you know, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to come up with an idea for a video game, make it, and we'll all get rich. And I said. <laughs> Well, that sounds good to me. Uh, but I walked out of his office and uh, Mike Horowitz and um, some of the others were finishing up Ms. Pac-Man. I said to Mike, hey, uh, anything I can do to help you get the you know the ROMs out the door? And um, Mike said, her lips are looking a little funny. Could you see if you can touch <laughs> them up? So my very first day on Does the job, will. I touched up uh, Ms. Pac-Man's lips. That's amazing. Wow.
2: <laughs> so the lips we see in Miss Pac-Man um Jonathan are are the lips you created?
0: Quite possibly not. Oh, okay. I did my best at cleaning them up, but then I'm sure Mike might have had a a hand in, you know, there are only so many choices you can make with yellow, red and blue. So um This is true. You know, I I think but he he may have actually undone what i did but i worked Ah, on it i worked on it
1: screw it (laughs) you know what when people ask me what the podcast is about i i say well it's essentially about classic video games and arcade games specifically but it it, it's quite niche or niche as I, i don't know which one is the correct pronunciation but uh i don't think it gets any more niche or niche than uh miss pac-man's lips that's quite specific
0: (laughs) yeah it was in the right place at the right time for sure
1: (laughs) i like it um how um i mean just so just to get our timeline just to get our ducks in a row um timeline wise so when you joined the the super missile attack lawsuit um and associate debacle associated debacle had just been settled right and GCC were being funded by Atari or or not quite where whereabouts in this uh, GCC timeline did you did you parachute in
0: I came in after the settlement had occurred right and um understandably um Kevin and uh Doug were very hesitant to hire any additional outsiders uh when that suit was pending so mm. uh at that point you know, Kevin was able to say, "Hey, we we're now we have a contract with Atari." Right. And so I felt a lot more comfortable joining at that time as well.
1: Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. I'll bet. I mean, just just for some positioning here for for anybody, any of our listeners who perhaps have only listening to this episode or have only listened to a few episodes, the Ted Dabney Experience episode eleven is um, is where we speak to GCC Steve Golson about Miss Pacman and Super Missile Attacks. So you might want to dive in dive in at that point um perhaps even before you come back here just for some timeline and some history um so Jonathan how so how did you find your colleagues in the working environment at GCC um d- describe a a day in the life of for us
0: well once things got going um a day in the life was uh we had people you know our engineers uh, myself included were working in um a kind of a central lab area mm. the uh, from day one and it, at a couple of different locations. But uh, the idea was have us all collaborating with prototypes in a central area such that we could all circulate around and see what was going on and try the games and offer feedback. And then we had offices where we had uh, desks and terminals where we could actually um do our you know heads down thinking programming and then yeah. go out into the central area actually uh implemented and tested and so it was really a, a mix of hey when I need to be in the office doing things on my own that was one thing when I was collaborating with my colleagues it was uh you know a really collaborative environment with Lots of ideas coming in, oh,
1: that's amazing, so the best of both worlds, really, in a exactly. in a judiciously planned environment fine tuned for creativity, no doubt,
0: yes, oh, and it was um, a lot of the ideas for food fight, for example, really came from people who were trying the game in the lab and uh giving feedback and part of my job was figuring out, hmm, which of these ideas actually make sense and are consistent with, uh, you know, what we're trying to do with the game versus, you know, that's something we could put on the back burner and maybe yeah. that won't work. And so there was um, a lot of that kind of uh, collaboration going on.
2: Hi, Jonathan. I, I Just to go back to what you were saying earlier, it struck me as you were talking that GCC were unique in terms of its relationship with Atari as they would have been the only, if not if not one of less than a handful of third party developers for arcade machines. would that is that would that be true to say?
0: I believe that's probably true, uh, but there were, um, you know, there were also, uh, you know, for example, Activision, there mm. there were others who developed cartridges that right. ran on Atari's uh, home hardware. But I, I am not aware of, and there very well could have been, I'm not aware of any that were building arcade uh, machines that were outside of Atari as third parties.
2: Yeah, and um, presumably the cabinets that you produced were built by Atari in Sunnyvale on their factory? There, there wouldn't have been a separate manufacturing plant just for your games?
0: I, uh, it, it, a lot of them were, or a lot of the parts of the games were built uh, by Atari. In, okay. um, and in fact, I was very lucky to be there when Food Fight was on the production line. So uh, oh, cool. I actually got to, got to see it being created there.
2: That must have been quite a sight.
0: <laughs> it was. I'll
2: bet. Yeah, amazing. And presumably any sort of politics or di- direction that Atari chose to send your way presumably that you were shielded from that by the the kevins of this world
0: you know i think that um if anything i mean we certainly did have a lot of collaboration uh with them at times not as much as we could have had but mm. uh for example as atari got closer to the finish uh sorry as food fight got closer to the finish and we were putting the finishing touches on food fight mm. um we were sending uh, materials to Atari. They were sending materials back to us. Uh, we would check them. For example, um, the original cabinet art that I saw had oranges instead of tomatoes, and so I said, "Oh, those are oranges. Uh, they're tomatoes, or what's actually in the game." <laughs> and I think it was just, you know, hard for the the artists there to see that. Oh, that's a tomato! Like they probably right. the version of the game that they saw, they probably didn't see the label of tomato come up on the on Got the it. screen. So there were things like that that could have been better coordinated. Certainly, mm-hmm.
2: let's talk a bit more about Food Fight. Um, so, were you left to come up with the game concept yourself, or was it a team effort, or was it an idea in a book? Or
0: no the um, the game effort the game uh, concept came up when. You know, Kevin gave me that that charter of coming up with an idea for a video game and and <laughs> building it. Right. Um, my first, probably my second week on the job, I spent uh, a lot of time in arcades looking at as many different games as I could, and I thought, gee, so many of these have fire buttons and. Um, and, you know, violence, which mm. which certainly can be fun and nothing wrong with that. But I, I thought, gee, what would be different? And um, I thought, what could a button do? And realized throw was one thing uh, a button could do because I, I like to throw, mm-hmm. play baseball. And so I thought, okay, now what could be thrown in the game? And I thought of food. And then all of a sudden, you know, I realized food fight someone else is going to think of this idea for a game. (laughs) I've got to create this as soon as possible. And so I was very motivated throughout the development to, to develop this game because uh, I knew it would have a, a great name and it was a matter of, um, you know, getting it built. And, and so um, I wrote a couple of page proposal, actually I still have the original proposal and shared it with, Kevin and Doug and um a couple of others that were there and said, "Hey, I think this is a game that could work." and so um that was how it started and then it was very, you know very uh rough and the basic idea was there, you know, run across the screen right to left to eat a cone, but as the as it was um created, obviously lots of things uh evolved, and so we um we had a lot of uh creative involvement from many people in the company. Mm.
2: And were you a fan of the Three Stooges growing up, Jonathan? And and was that a big influence in the game?
0: You know, I would say, certainly I watched the Three Stooges growing up uh, Mm -hmm. and it was more just about the idea of um, the gameplay itself more than any particular influence. Like when I was developing the game, I didn't think, oh, I've got to make this like, you know the Three Stooges or mm-hmm. anything, but certainly the Three Stooges affected my uh, my outlook on life. I suppose uh, you know I, I thought they they were funny. I like slapstick comedy, so you know perhaps that was uh, that was an influence.
2: Yeah. So presumably everybody bought into the concept from the, from the out based on your initial pitch document.
0: They certainly bought into uh, you know starting the development of the game. Mm-hmm. The thing that was um that took a while for us to figure out was the controls. Like it seems obvious now that you know having a analog joystick as the the center control for the game works, but we were trying a lot of different things because we didn't have an analog joystick to to use at the beginning and it it wasn't. Um, it was pretty clear that uh, on an arcade screen, uh, an eight-way joystick didn't quite work for this full-size, you know, full-size game. Mm-hmm. So we tried. We tried a wheel at one point where there was a a throw button and you your direction moved using a wheel that had a lot of different. Um, actually, it was a Tempest wheel that we used, so okay. that you could have full control of which direction you were moving in and throwing in. Mm-hmm. Uh but that wasn't very that didn't work very naturally. So once we got to the to the analog joystick, uh it was it was a lot smoother sailing in terms of the gameplay.
2: I was just thinking there about um Crystal Castles, I wondered if a if a trackball was, was considered at any point.
0: Oh uh, we didn't consider a trackball, but um no, we didn't. We didn't. Okay.
2: Interesting. I mean, the game itself is a very simple premise. Um, you, you you guide your hero across the screen to eat an ice cream before it melts without getting splattered, and it doesn't involve guns. Um, you you alluded to um, the non-violent nature of the game. I, I mean, I I just wonder that the more the game got de- developed, the more maybe the more you guys realized you were onto something um, relatively unique in the marketplace.
0: Yeah, certainly the the gameplay was not like anything I had seen before. And the fact that we had, so the what would normally be like missiles, um, in most games, missiles are kind of stored inside you or earned in some way with getting energy or whatever. In this case, the weapons were spread around the field and they ran out except for the watermelons. So that was a pretty unique concept that you had to uh, actually run to get the food that you were going to throw, um the other thing was the the holes that appeared on the screen w- and you know you had to keep track of where they were to get her to yes. dodge around them, and also the way the chefs move um mm-hmm. you know the combination of those things was um fairly unique, yeah,
2: those those damn holes you've just reminded me how, <laughs> how frustrating they are, so thanks for that, Jonathan um I wonder if you can tell us just a bit about how you began creating the game and whether it was a relatively sort of logical process so did you did you start with the hero charlie chuck on screen first and then work on him then throwing food and then adding enemies or was it a was it a bit of everything gradually
0: the enemies the food the holes the ice cream the hero all those things were in the original proposal Mm -hmm. so it was a matter of Uh, building those and determining, you know, what exactly the foods would be. I think some of the initial, like pies are kind of obvious for, uh, especially you mentioned the three stooges, that was their food of choice to throw. Um, So those things all were part of the original proposal. And it was a matter of building them using um, Ms. Pac-Man hardware, or I should say Pac-Man hardware as, because the, the actual, uh, 68,000 based hardware hadn't been created yet. So we started by implementing the gameplay in, in Pac-Man hardware. So I was writing, you know, Z80 hardware at first, uh, and using an eight way joystick to, Mm -hmm. um, to start the process of, uh, getting the gameplay up and running.
2: And as, as someone new to video games, um, talking now to someone who um, wouldn't know a bit from a bite, frankly, Jonathan, how hmm. how much of a step is it to come from where you came from to creating video games? I mean, is it is it essentially the... So is, is creating some accountancy software at its core essentially the same as writing a game like Food Fight?
0: The big differences in um, video games are, first of all, for most who wrote in video games, it was writing in assembly language uh, programming as opposed to a higher level language. So I was writing in Fortran when I when I was writing the um, the strategy consulting software, and mm-hmm. uh, so you know writing in assembly language is something you do in uh, college or whatever when you're learning. So it's it's not that hard to get up to speed learning. It takes it's more time consuming to write an assembly language. And so that's one factor. Another factor is coming up with ways to uh, make the software run more quickly. So Mm -hmm. tighter loops uh, when you're writing things, making sure you don't have any uh, non-essential lines of code, um, Mm -hmm. and also uh, non-essential bytes in the software. So you want something that's space efficient, time efficient, and normally you're writing an assembly language, which in some ways does help you be more efficient, but the overall thing, uh, it just takes longer to actually get something up and running when you're writing an assembly language.
2: I suppose there's also that sort of X factor of, of gameplay balance. Um, so rather than Well, you know, we are we are writing a program here to do something specific. It either does it or it doesn't. Um, I guess with video games, it's a bit more subjective, isn't it? So, you know, is Charlie throwing the food too far? What 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 does that arc look like in terms of when it leaves his hand and sort of lands on the floor? And how fast should the chefs be? Should they be slower? Should they be faster? I guess. guess Oh, that's a a
0: great point. All of that fine tuning of the speed that of with at which the chefs are moving, the speed Mm. at which the food their throwing is moving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how fast are you running compared yeah. to them? Yeah. All of those c- things require yeah tuning.
2: So you could finish the game and go, well, I've written the game. Here it is. And then, well, hang on a second. You know, it's it's gone out to testing and it's not quite right. And we need to tweak this this aspect of the of the gameplay. Um, uh, yeah. And yeah. exact
0: that's one of the reasons that I think GCC's model for development works so well because, you know, we are all kind of constantly testing our own games as we're uh, writing the software. Mm. Uh, but then when you watch others play, okay, did they did they lose on the first round too quickly because it was too hard? Or right. did the progression from one round to the next, uh, you know, did the speed step up enough that, you know, they, they don't get... You know, they don't lose hope. Like you always want this feeling that, gee, if I had just done that one move right, you know, I just moved a little further around that chef or not or turned a little earlier then I would have won. You know, I would have eaten the cone. And so you want that feeling of, you know, oh, I just missed. I got to try it again. And that's, when you, once you get that feeling going on in your yourself or, you know, whoever's playing, that's, that's what really causes people to go back.
2: For sure. Easy to learn, difficult to master, as someone at Atari, I think,
1: once said.
0: Exactly.
2: Um, I wonder if we could go on to the, uh, the chefs which we touched on earlier, Jonathan, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, Jonathan
1: would be cancelled today if he was uh, um, uh, conforming to such national stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey they're just four names uh no it's not good
2: enough (laughs) can you name them jonathan
0: oh angelo oscar jacques and zorba in fact i have a funny um a funny story to tell about that i was up at uh the um the fun spot in um new hampshire by weir's beach and this was um within the first year after it was released and i was up there uh with a friend at lake winnipesaukee and um I went into the arcade and, hey, there's an arcade, There's a food fight here. So I started playing the game and my friend was watching and some kids came up and they're like, whoa. And my friend said, he created the game. And the, the kid, this, this was a young kid, said, um, no way. And he said, name the chefs. And so, um, you know, that was, uh, I was able to name them. I guess he believed me at that point
1: this is brilliant actually because one of paul's favorite questions always is did you did you walk around the arcades at the time and go i made that so you did you finally did have the opportunity jonathan to um to do exactly that
0: oh every now (laughs) i i still do that sometimes there's a uh, there there there's a barcade in new york city right and um a friend of mine said Hey, I saw a Food Fight in Barcade, so I went in and put up the high score. And um, amazing, somebody asked me, "How are you doing that?" or whatever. And I said, "Oh, I made the game."
1: So let's just uh, let, let me let me just. I want you to go back and name those chefs for us once again. Um, you've got Zorba the Greek. <laughs> Jacques the Frenchman
0: there was no well he was not Zorba the Greek although informally <laughs> I said I just he was of... the Greek Zorba the Greek pastry chef was... this is
2: this is Paul <laughs> stitching us up now with his notes because he no, this is I'm good, reading this Paul's
1: good. notes Zor- Zorba the Greek pastry Zorba chef Greek. it's even better come on carry on Jonathan please go on no
0: but um and there was Angelo Oscar and Jacques and um, so those those were uh, names that uh, you know sounded like they came from uh, Italy, France, and Oscar was, I suppose, the U.S. or some you know Anglo country or whatever.
2: So um, the the one of the, one of the things we were going to ask you, um, Jonathan, was was the AI that you put into the game Be, because all of, all of them act independently and have different behavioral AI. Um, we were wondering if that was based on your understanding of their national temperaments, but it sort of, sort of <laughs> sounds like it was something of a coincidence. Or-
1: <laughs> we're not we stitching to, you up, yeah, Jonathan. We might have it's to cut this in, in good faith. No, not at all.
0: Yeah, at no. Time. I first of all, calling <laughs> anything in food fight AI would be um, a real exaggeration. Of it, it a was rudimentary exactly. AI. Exactly. Uh, it was just a, a matter of you know one of them cutting between you and the cone. That was Oscar. One of them running in a to a point uh, that you're headed to, that's um, Jacques. Angelo right runs to a point right at you, and Zorba runs right to a point behind you. So uh, they're all um, they're all acting in different ways. It's like the
1: ghosts from Pac Man, kind of.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it, and it makes it hard when they're all when they've all got food, and you're trying to move forward or backward or or you know, toward the cone and uh right. they're all uh threats. Yeah.
2: And we spoke earlier about tweaking gameplay, um Jonathan. And indeed some of the levels do take literally just just a few seconds. And um but thankfully you did include slow motion replays in the in the game. I wonder if you can tell us about why that came about.
0: Well the idea of the instant replay actually and by the way it's not in um It's not in slow motion, it's Uh, real, you know, it's the actual uh, motion. The idea for it came up because there was available RAM, you know, random access memory and Food Fight has 8K of RAM. And I noticed that in any given uh, rack, we needed only um, about 4K of RAM uh, at most. And so, by saving the position of the joystick and the state of the throw button, um, you combine that with a random number generator seed that kicks off the kicks off the uh, rack. Then you're able to replicate exactly what happened. And so, um, and we made sure that the food had to come close to you as you're running along. You had to have a close call with food. And you had to have a close call with a chef, uh, be, and that kind of made it interesting. We there was one point where we just had uh, instant replays pop up randomly, and that did not work because some of the uh, some of the racks were not you know were not very interesting. You didn't mm. get close to a chef or food. You just kind of I think it's um, eight seconds you have to take if I'm remembering correctly, uh, at least eight seconds to um, finish the rack to, to make it, you know, cause an instant replay. It's not it. an extremely short rack also doesn't qualify.
2: That's interesting. I mean, having, having spoken to many a programmer on, on the podcast over the last couple of years, um, one of the common themes that comes up is trying to save memory and, and, you know, code and trying to be more efficient with code. It, it's interesting that, that you found you had, um, you know, space to, to, to add that feature.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the reasons for that space is that the position of the holes, the foods, uh, starting holes that chefs would pop up from, you know, where you start, where the cone starts, those things vary rack to rack, mm-hmm. uh, but they're, all those things are determined by one random number generator seed. So okay. you could imagine a different way of programming where you had to keep track of of where everything was on every um you know on every frame or mm. cycle of the the uh the processor and we didn't have to do that because everything was determined by you know the state of the throw button and the state of the joystick or position of the joystick and that starting uh random number generator so we didn't need much ram.
2: Fascinating. Um, on on to more um lighter hearted subjects. The, the the way Charlie's head expands and <laughs> this this huge uh, Gene Simmons esque tongue kind of envelopes the ice cream cone. It's 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 kind of kind of disturbing on on one level, but but kind of fits perfectly on on another.
0: Yeah. So the original proposal had that idea that the act of eating the cone would actually be kind of really funny like shocking and funny at first Uh and so um once we you know started uh and by the way when i keep saying we a lot of the times it was me but we we had others writing software for the game too so um uh but that first version of his head expanding i made a very an even more exaggerated version of it which was just too much the tongue was (laughs) too long the head was too big and so um you know, it uh, toned it down to being something that was funny, but not you know totally crazy.
2: Right, interesting. Um, you, I just want to jump back. Um, you mentioned going to Funspot after the game was released and finding a food fight cabinet there. Would I be right in assuming that the food fight that's still it still at Funspot would be that same cabinet that's just simply been there for the last forty odd years?
0: It's possible uh it, it's actually probably likely i would yeah. think um, that's a
2: question for Gary Vince, yeah. isn't yeah, it yeah um, uh, Gary it, it, would know uh, it's certainly the case for um the missile command there as i understand it that's the same missock command that they purchased in august 1980 or whenever it was so yeah in, interesting um uh jonathan so fighting with food was also featured in a game by williams um entitled splat I, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned earlier that as soon as you thought of the idea, you thought to yourself, I've got to write this game before someone else does. Um, Splat was released in 1982. I just just wonder if, if you had any consciousness of that game when it came out, as as Food Fight must have been well into development by then. And and w- w- were you concerned that it had stolen your thunder or not?
0: You know, I heard about splat only when and I can't remember what the date was when I saw it, but in um in an arcade in Framingham Mass, uh where I used to uh, test Food Fight, one of the times I went in there, it was probably the summer of summer or fall of 82. Um right. was something that looked like a prototype of and, and it said splat. And it um mm. all I remember at the time was it was more like a a story then it wasn't a, a high action game at least the prototype i saw but i thought wow it looks like somebody did have an idea of um uh you know throwing food and but i only saw that after food fight was well under development and also um oh fun and games i'm sorry is the name of the arcade in uh natick or framingham mass right on the border okay
1: Well, that is that is Williams Amusements territory back then, wasn't it? So that's really, you know, what's really fascinating is we hear about uh, anecdotally, of course, we hear, you know, we hear about all these games that went out on test and 99% of which just vanished without trace. And we often ask people, you know, have have you kept any, any artwork or any, do you know of any prototype cabinets um, that are out there? And nobody does. And we only kind of hear about these um, games that are lost to time kind of obliquely. Um, uh, uh, within an anecdote, um, uh, such as just now from yourself, it's I just find that really um, it's almost like a window, like a like a glimpse into uh into a, like yeah. a, a a lost era.
2: I mean, suffice to say, Jonathan, um, at least until we speak to the pro- programmer of Splat, I don't think there's any competition.
1: Oh uh, uh, no! For, for, uh, Food fight, Food is, fight um, is no by far it
2: is yeah, most sure. definitely the superior game.
1: No, sure, but what it's, it's just really, really fascinating to kind of it's like kind of just it's like hearing a like somebody step on a twig in the woods, you know? Oh wow! What's 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 that? Mm. Like a prototype of Splat, nobody's ever heard of, mm. you know? It's uh, interesting. Yeah.
2: So, how happy were you with Food Fight ultimately, um, Jonathan? And anything you'd do differently looking back on the finished game?
0: Oh, definitely. Um, the the biggest um issue and you know I used to get reports from Atari on how Food Fight was doing on test and um they had a uh, a company that actually uh ran tests at at arcades and you mm-hmm. would see oh which games were the top collect you know the top collecting games and when Food Fight worked it was you know it did very well uh, it was uh right about doing as well as Millipede and the two of them were kind of right at the top uh, usually, but a lot of times it was broken and the it, it was inevitably the, um, the joystick that was broken. And Atari did at some point, I'm not sure when, uh, replace the original Food Fight. Uh, I believe they used a Red Baron version of the analog joystick and it just wasn't strong enough to withstand the uh the pressure that you know when you're yeah. playing a game and you're jerking it back and forth uh it it can um it breaks and so sure. i would say that was the number one thing if if there had been either more time or um or the you know the improved joystick could have been developed earlier that would have been uh that would have been a plus there was also something i did during the design, that in retrospect I wouldn't have done, which is there's a a sequence in attract mode. There's a sequence of screens showing the high score table, you know what a typical rack looks like, a pre-programmed one, and then like a a game showing the names of the chefs, the foods, watch out for holes. It's almost like a a demo instruction, you know, set of instructions on how to play. And when when the game has credits on it, it does not show the you know the um, the screens like the high score table. It just shows the gameplay over and over. Right. And and so I was thinking, it, and then I learned that when a game is on display, like having uh, owners of arcades come in to look at the games that Atari has to sell. Um, they would put it in free play mode. And so some of those screens weren't shown, you know, in retrospect, I would have changed that. Honestly, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much of a difference that made, but I would have, um, I would have liked to see that, um, you know, that those screens shown. One other thing that, you know, if you look at the game, the the cabinet's beautiful, the marquee up at the top has, you know, Food Fight and in, in a, a certain design. On the game itself, we... Wrote the software and did the graphics prior to um, handing them over to Atari and that food fight, that doughy looking food fight that, you know, uh, Daryl Myers, one of our artists created, like Mm. one of maybe his first day (laughs) on the job. Um, When I look at that compared to the exterior of the game it looks like it was done by two different companies, which in fact is the case. And so, you know, I would have liked to see Food Fight look the same. Um, That's a really but, good point. Uh, you know, yeah. but I can uh,
2: picture it now on screen. Yeah, you're right, it's uh, something I didn't pick up on, but yes, it's, it, it's definitely a different uh, design.
0: Yeah, and there's a bug that rarely occurs, but it does happen and it resets the machine, which I wish I had not uh, made that bug. Uh, If you go to the very last moment on a screen and you qualify for an instant replay, then instead of going to the instant replay, it actually resets the machine. So that was a pretty unfortunate bug as well. Oh, wow.
2: But that doesn't occur at too regular?
0: No, no.
2: Interesting. And so did you get... Feedback from Atari, you mentioned testing earlier, when the game was out on test, was was there any ex- explicit feedback that you can recall from those um, field tests that made you think, ah, yeah, good point, maybe we need to tweak this?
0: Um, really, it was, what Atari sent back was the reports. Okay. Um, and they didn't have any feedback that I recall on the gameplay itself, or the, or the Really, nearly anything that we could control. Um, since I believe that most of the issues revolved around the joystick, so I don't, I don't recall any feedback from Atari other than, yeah, here's how it's doing. Okay,
2: yeah, cool. Um, you mentioned the artwork, uh, Jonathan, um, and I don't know if this is a question that any of us can answer, but um, when I look at a Food fight cabinet, it strikes me that the the colors used are particularly vibrant. Almost like they they would show up under UV or something. There's like a certain um, luminescence around you know the blues and the oranges and the yellows that that you don't see on other Atari cabinets. I I just wondered if they used a, a slightly different process to make the to make the artwork pop even more than some of the other games which were released around that time.
0: Ah, uh, I can't answer that. Uh, but um, and I don't think any of the colours are fluorescent. But I could take a blacklight down and shine it on the cabinet and, and let you know yeah uh, we can hang on jonathan go ahead no i'm kidding sorry, sorry.
1: oh food for the, the food fight is such a, a beautiful 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 cabinet it really is um, yeah i mean it's an amazing game but just you know the whole package it's um i nearly i nearly, I'm nearly very nearly pushed the button on uh, on on getting one last year, but it was a bit a bit too rich for my blood. But by God, it's gorgeous! Yeah, I encourage anybody to look it up.
2: I had an opportunity to buy one about ten years ago, and I thought, oh right. no, it's far too rich. And if I think about
1: what a food fight is
2: worth now, I I think I made yeah. I think I made the wrong decision. I, 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 I
1: actually quite like the, as well. I quite like the um, the Atari Island uh, mini or Cabaret um, food fight as well, which I think shared a cabinet with Popeye. Um, which was briefly a, an Atari right. release as well. Am yes, I wrong? Yeah, you're right, Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lovely little thing. I think there's some guy still on eBay, some dealer in America still trying to sell it for like four thousand dollars or something. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's still. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Are you aware if they actually built any cocktail table uh, versions of it?
1: I'm gonna say yes, yes. because yeah. I've seen one relatively recently. Oh, there recently. we go. Tony, you're, there is a cocktail, right? There is. I yeah, there uh, is. Well, yeah. I'm saying that I just recall
2: seeing a photograph of one. I'm not sure if I've actually. Seen it.
1: I I think there was. I don't. I think it's a quite a rare beast, and I think there was one for sale on Clove, or uh, a, a, it's not a site I go to these days. But I think the last time I was there, I'm fairly sure there was a, a food fight there cocktail. For sale. I am
2: looking at Google right now. And if you, huh. pun- if you punch in Food Fight Cocktail Table, it's the first couple of images. Uh, there we go. Another original title developed around the, that time, uh, Jonathan, was, was Quantum. Obviously, you didn't have a huge hand in that game, if any, at all. But I just wondered if you had any memories of of, of seeing that in development? Obviously, oh, absolutely. A vector, a vector yeah. title. That
1: was Betty Betty Ryan, Betty Ryan, Ryan and Quantum. I were yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. working side by side on um, you know, building building those games and um it uh yeah, absolutely remember it.
1: Cool. I think it's worth expanding on that actually Tom, because we don't um speaking of Betty um I think it's inevitable that, you know, when we talk to people who worked in the industry during this era, you know, it's predominantly men. Um, and so when we hear stories of, of of women designing video games, it's kind of few and far between. So it'd be really nice for you to kind of um, maybe share some memories of working with Betty.
0: Well, um, I knew Betty at uh, my prior job. She was at um, SPA and so, you know, she and I had worked together there and she joined um she joined GCC either a couple of days or a day before or uh you know, I joined GCC um I believe she joined before I did. It might have been like a day after, but um I remember uh Betty uh we had a couple of games in at GCC which was always an inspiration and a nice break to play those games. And uh, as I was thinking about, you know, what game could I possibly, uh, create here? Um, Betty was playing Tempest and I was watching her playing Tempest and, and I thought, and and asked her like, what caused you to keep playing, going back to it? And she said, there's something about the danger, you know, when you feel this, you know, danger when you're playing and, um, So I remembered that and uh, kind of thought, oh, I have to make sure that when people are playing Food Fight, they feel that, you know, they're in jeopardy, that they feel this danger of a food coming close to them or a chef coming close to them. So, yeah, it was very, um, it was very cool, uh, you know, collaborating with her at, at GCC.
1: So Jonathan, after Food Fight, your next role um, was as producer on Junior Pac-Man, I believe. So tell us about your involvement with that particular project. Were you actually doing any coding or was it more of a managerial um, oversight role?
0: Yeah, it was, um, it was, I didn't do any coding. Right. I would say more than anything, I was just there supporting the team to feel uh, like not, uh, not get too frustrated because what that team was doing, like this, was taking the original Pac-Man code, um, mm. actually combination of original Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man, mm. but actually putting patches into the code, and it was incredibly tedious work. Uh, the Tim Hoskins and Bruce Burns, they were the primary uh, coders of the game. Um, incredibly tedious detail oriented work that they were doing. When you think about the fact that they were able to cause the screen to, uh, scroll from side to side. and This was all done with patches. And at one point, you know, reminiscing with Tim, who's a very good friend. I, I was good friends with Tim in college and, uh, and I, I think I, probably was the one who recruited him to GCC, you know, reminiscing about this, I said, do you think it would have been, the whole thing would have been faster and and more straightforward Hmm. if you had just started from scratch and, you know, just loaded in entirely new software rather than trying to do this in patches. And um, yeah, I'm still not sure. Only Tim could probably answer that. But it was, uh, I think more than anything, I was just... Uh, helping those guys uh, stay sane, both very (laughs) extremely talented uh, coders and uh, doing something, very difficult yes indeed
1: and 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 for the casual listener if you will um i suppose the main difference between pac-man and maybe even miss pac-man and junior pac-man is the is the scrolling um you mentioned so so you have that horizontal scrolling which just basically uh, expands that screen real estate or that 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 play area right exactly yes yeah sure sure um okay and we i believe you also worked on an unreleased title called nightmare Um, so what was the plan with that? What was the plan with Nightmare? You
0: know, I, I wasn't particularly involved with, uh, Nightmare. In fact, I left, I mean, I was involved with earlier versions of it. Um, it was, it was interesting. We had, um, there were earlier incarnations of some of the games we did that as, Mm. as the gameplay didn't really work out, it sort of evolved into something else And I think Mm. as nightmare was evolving, I actually, um, had left GCC, uh, but, um, but I, I know the developers, Roland Janbergs and, um, Steve Zemanski, you know, were among those that, uh, worked on that game.
1: Right. Sure. I I mean, I was going to ask why, why nightmare did not get a release. And I was then going to ask whether, whether that was GCC being caught up in the, um, you know, the infamous, um. Uh, video game crash that we that we hear about and refer to constantly of 83 um but i mean maybe you can talk about that i mean even though you'd left gcc how how did that how did that kind of wider um how did that crash um feel from the inside as it were
0: yeah it was um it was as if everyone got sick of video games uh, i think all at consumers, once consumers <laughs> yeah uh, arcades uh, yeah. home games. Well, another thing about home arcade games. Um, oh, sorry, home video games. Mm. They were so highly penetrated that um, there the market was pretty saturated, and mm. so um, you know, I think that was uh, that was a major factor. And at GCC, we had seen that kind of on the horizon, and we were also looking for new growth opportunities, and so. Mm. Some of us were tapped to be in a group developing uh software for the apple macintosh,
1: and oh, okay. uh,
0: so I was on that team that was specking some of the the software that could be created. We had a delivery at one point of leases where yeah. which uses yeah. a similar um operating system larger, but you had to cross compile on a lease to write software for a Mac. Mm and um i just felt at one point there that um i i did not feel myself capable enough to write you know production business software uh that would um that would run on a mac and um so i decided gee where where else could i learn about writing business software so i looked at some other opportunities and um and decided to join a different company but mm-hmm. you know it by that time I was kind of out of uh doing video games. Mm. So
1: I mean yeah so your you know your time in the video game industry was fairly short, certainly eventful um and uh, and fruitful but so so how do you look back on that period of your life because it feels like you you kind of maybe in the longer view you kind of dipped into that specific area of programming and then back out again what did you what are your abiding memories and what did you go on to do after GCC
0: well at GCC you know looking back it was certainly the a wonderful uh, unique time of being in the right place at the right time to be able to create a video game and see others under development and um, just generally being a part, a part of a really amazing uh, culture of excellent uh, engineers, very clever, uh, very clever people. Mm. And so I really enjoyed the job. And the other thing, looking back, is that software that I wrote 40 years ago actually still runs. And so that, yeah, would, yeah. none of the other software that I wrote, uh, as far as I'm aware, still runs anywhere. You know, well,
1: so. well, not only not only that, Jonathan, but as you're saying, I've, as as you've alluded to earlier on and referred to, you 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 you've been back to Fun Spot to the American Classic Arcade Museum. You've seen your own game um still being enjoyed by present generations and i think that's that's testament to the um just just to the timelessness of um of certain games you know it doesn't really matter if, if those graphic displays are relatively primitive it's um it's very much of its time and and timeless at the same time
0: yeah uh, i i agree i you know i look back and think wow it was really cool that i was able to do that and um and learn so much uh you know uh Writing a lot of software, seeing how others did things um so it was a great learning experience fun you know you're you're actually yeah. developing something that is supposed to be fun, so you yeah. know yeah actually getting to write software that's uh entertaining uh is is really you know a pleasure so yeah it's it's great
2: um jonathan we were, were you aware of that? actually in the moment at the time that, you know, I'm doing something really cool or was it, well, this is, this is, this is just a job that's a bit different.
0: Oh, I was completely aware that it was, well, I, I don't know. I was aware that it was cool as much as <laughs> I was aware how much I enjoyed it. Does and, it have a uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. like you know, on one hand, uh, uh, there's a certain reaction from, um, like i remember at one point my my uncle or maybe even some others might not have been my uncle but when are you going to get a real job you know i think to mm. older generations okay. it was like gee you're not working at ibm uh right that's interesting you know right. you know it's yeah, yeah. so um and uh and it it wasn't a long term career uh by any means uh for me yeah. and uh i think at the time i didn't expect it to be a long-term career I just thought hey right now I can do this it's going to be fun I'm going to learn a lot doing it uh and um so yeah I'll go for yeah. it yeah
2: I think it's obviously don't know what it's like but I think it I think it must be uh, very gratifying and perhaps a bit bem- bemusing that you know 40 and 50 year old idiots like us actually want to talk to you about something you did 40 years ago <laughs> um, I, I, I just, just, just kind of wonder how, how that lands with you.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm thrilled. I we um, the American Classic Arcade Museum uh, organized uh, a, a presence, a panel. Actually, they there was a room at the Boston Convention Center for PAX East, mm. and yes. um, uh, the um, you know the classic the ACAM people put together a room with. Uh, gee, it must have been about. 20 or something, um, you know, classic games that they, they, uh, trucked in. And then they had a panel discussion of five or six of us old video game designers. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so we spoke on a panel and a couple of People came up to me afterwards and asked for my autograph, and I, I was just like, "Whoa, really? Uh, that's that's <laughs> nice." Uh, and one of the guys in the audience said, um, "What did he asked a question? What did a video game designer drive for a car back in those days?" <laughs> 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 which I which I thought was hilarious, also, like you know. But anyway, it was. Uh, well,
1: what, 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 what did a video game designer drive <laughs> back in those days, Jonathan?
0: Well, I don't know if there's any pattern, but I happened to have bought a, a Mazda RX-7, which oh, nice. I loved. And, um, and my parents encouraged me to buy it. They said, hey, you're, you're only young once. Uh, you should, uh, if you want a sports car, buy a, buy a sports car. So I did. Oh, that's and cool. And I really enjoyed it.
1: Do you do you still keep in touch with your old GCC buddies, Jonathan?
0: Yeah, uh, I mean not consistently all of them and and not as much as I would like, I guess, but uh, Steve Golson, um, he and I talk frequently. Um, and uh, some of the others I'm on a, a um, Facebook group with and so, you know, we're whenever we hear something interesting about Miss Pac-Man or whatever, we Um, we message each other there and, and uh, talk every now and then. So yeah, keep in touch. That's
1: great. That's great. Jonathan, thank you so much. I mean, uh, once again, I think this is an excellent companion episode to to Steve Golson's episode, which I think was episode eleven, um, which which listeners might want to check out in in conjunction with this episode. But thank you so much for your time. Um, it's it, it's been a brief one, but it's been really it's been a really fascinating little episode we've done here. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for reaching out.
1: Yeah,
2: thanks, Jonathan. It's, it, I think it's always good to do a deep dive into one particular game, and especially one that, um, whilst not the biggest commercial success of the golden age. Is certainly a game that I think has stood the the test of time. Um, we we try to get over to Fun Spot on a semi regular basis, um, and uh, we'll be sure to hit you up and buy
0: you a burger. <laughs> oh, thanks very much. <laughs> Did I just say
2: that I was like to buy or a, a pie? Burger. What I meant to say was have a two player game
1: of uh, food fight, of course.
0: <laughs> Excellent.
1: And buy you a pie and uh, a pie a pie and a beer, of course. <laughs> Perfect. You've been listening to the Ted Dabney Experience Podcast with me, Richard May, Retro Gamer Magazine's Paul Drury and arcade blogger Tony Temple. The show was produced and edited by myself with a bespoke score and sound suite by Ghost of Wood. Additional technical support by Jason Arber.